Clubhouse bonus episode, Tried and True Tips for Coaching Teachers. Hey, Elite Educators, it's Gretchen here from Always a Lesson. I'm popping in here with a super exciting bonus episode. I have been leading chats on the Clubhouse app, which is an audio conversation platform for months now. I created the Instructional Coaching Club on Clubhouse, and I lead those chats Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, so I sure hope you join us. But if not, drumroll please, you can catch the replay right here. How cool is that? This is a new feature Clubhouse has rolled out, so the past chats we've held are not recorded. It's such a bummer. However, going forward, I will be sharing the replay with you here. Even more professional support for you on your edgy leadership journey. So let's dive into the convo. Hey, Benny. I'm just getting my co-host in here. We are going to be talking about trying and true tips for coaching teachers. So feel free to add your tips and I'm going to be pinging some folks in. Doing good. I love this room chat feature because now we can text and we can chat with our voices, which is awesome. Welcome, David. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and get started as we're waiting for Kelsey to get here. And then, like I said, I'll ping some folks in. Oh, here she is. Hey, Kelsey. Go ahead and take your side. How are you? Hey, can you hear me? I sure can. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Welcome, Katie. Good to see you. Um, So, Kelsey, give us a quick rundown of your background. And while you're doing that, I'll ping some more folks in and then we'll get it started. Okay. Sounds good. Yes. So, my name is Kelsey Bodie. I currently live in St. Louis, Missouri. Now, this is my 10th year in education. I have served as a classroom teacher, summer school reading specialist, and currently serving as an instructional coach for kindergarten through fifth grade. That is so exciting. Can you let us know when you and I were first talking about, well, let me back up and tell y'all that she and I met through a coaching summit. And, um, I was like, Oh my gosh, we gotta like get you on here. And I ended up finding her, her name on social and it was all this rabbit hole kind of thing. And I was like, Hey, I really love to have you come on and chat. And she's like, cool. What's clubhouse and how does this work? So this is her first time, but she's going to be a pro by the end of it. Um, so Kelsey, tell us why you were thinking this is going to be such a good topic to chat about tonight. Yeah. So I think. Well, first of all, this is my third, well, this is my third year as a coach. Um, And when I first started, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. I mean, you, you kind of know what you're doing. You're coaching, you're helping, you're improving instruction, but I have a great, you know, conversation with you, Greg. How can we give some current educators or people who are already coaches some great tips um, that they can put in place, maybe that they haven't thought of or things that work for you and things that, that I have found that work for me that can re- just really help them um, for the remainder of the school year and, and, and going forward. Yeah, I agree because coaching can be isolating. You might be the only one on, uh, on your campus. Hey, Ryan, or you might be the only one of your subject area. And when coaching was just starting out, there weren't a lot of us to even create a PLN. And so I'm so thankful that Clubhouse has kind of become that because now I am able to find folks all across the world who are doing similar things and can swap stories and strategies. And even though you might work in a really large building or a small intimate setting, there are different strategies that work. And sometimes we're at the Mm -hmm. end of our rope thinking, I've tried everything, (laughs) you know, what else can I do? And so to be able to chat and and swap strategies is really helpful. And some things that we're going to mention tonight are just going to be reminders. And that's helpful because I think oftentimes we think we need to keep adding to our tool belts, but sometimes it's we need to slow down and just push in a little harder with one of our strategies. And so things might resonate with you tonight and you'll say, you know, that's been on my mind. I know I should probably go work with this teacher in this fashion and it might really help. So I hope you have those connections tonight. 
Mm-hmm. And while we're chatting, there is a chat room function now. It looks like a little talk bubble at the bottom of your screen. You can click that and it's our room chat. So we can all talk through there. If you prefer to ask a question there and you don't want to come up to the stage, you can do that. You can also ping other friends in if you find that this room is helpful. Uh, you can raise your hand if you want to come to the stage, all sorts of things. So feel free to do those. Uh, Kelsey, I think you and I could just kind of go back and forth sharing different uh, tips and tricks if you're fine with that. Yes, I think that's great. Okay. I want to say hey to Fanti. I don't think I said hi to you yet. She is a person that comes to all our rooms. So I'm so thankful, Fanti, to have you here all the time. You make me feel comfortable, feel like I know, got a friend, a friendly face in in the group. Okay. So I'm going to kick it to you, Kelsey. And then if you can tell us not only what your tip is, but why you thought it was helpful to share, if there's a little antidote you want to share, or maybe some struggle that helped you find it would be helpful too. Yes. Um, So the first one I want to talk about is teacher supports. I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with the Gem Night Impact Cycle, um, but it's a great tool for new coaches, even coaches who have been coaching for a long time that really helped me get a foundational, um, you know, foundational content knowledge of how to really help teachers improve in their overall practice. Um, And he breaks it down into a few little quick steps. It's called the peers goal. So powerful, easy, emotionally compelling, reachable and student focused goals. I really feel like that has helped my teachers over the last three years. And I would love to hear Gretchen, if you have any, um, you know, coaching models or coaching cycles that you feel have, have been successful. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard that version of it, which is exactly why I like to share these things. Cause a lot of us, Hey Marnie, um, have tried some version of something. And mm-hmm. that was one of the things on my list. I wrote protocols because I think sometimes teachers feel better. And we as coaches do too, when there's a roadmap. And so whether you call it X, Y, Z, or it has 17 steps or five steps, I don't think it matters. But the point is we know where we're going. The, the steps we're using, Hey, Adrian are aligned to our mission of what we're trying to accomplish one for students, but we're doing that through helping teachers. And so my second part of that is transparency. If we can tell teachers, here's the model that we're using at our school this year. This is why this is chosen. And this is what it's going to look like. They feel safer because they know what to expect. We feel uh, more confident because there's, like I mentioned, this, this roadmap, this pathway, we know what steps we need to follow and how to get everybody there. And then it's so much easier to load people on and off the bus as necessary. And one thing I liked about what you were mentioning, Kelsey, is your model sounds much more like something you do with teachers, which as we know, coaching sometimes feels like it's being done to them. And something like here, you need to work on this and this is how you're going to do it. And you need to do it by X, Y, Z date. And they're stressed out thinking, holy cow, who are you? Why are you telling me I suck as a teacher? And I don't feel confident, nor do I feel heard. And I feel like you don't even have an accurate picture of what's happening. And so your model seems much more let me hear what are your goals? What are you facing? What are your struggles? And let's develop a plan. Would you agree? Yes, 100%. It's definitely hands-on, um, a collaborative process with that instructional coach. It is one-on-one, so it's definitely tailored to that uh, specific teacher and their strengths, weaknesses, their goals, what they want to improve on. And it's definitely to help them along the way, but it's also centered on a specific goal that that teacher wants to improve on. I think sometimes as an instructional coach, we, you know, get that weight on our shoulders of, you know, fixing the world or solving, you know, all of student achievement. But what's great about this model is you're pinpointing one specific goal that they can improve on over a matter of, you know, six to eight weeks. So they they don't feel bombarded with, I need to improve everything. They're really zoning in on one specific area. Yeah. And I want to pick up a question I have for you in a second about when it is that personalized, how can you get to everybody? But before I have you answer that, 
I like that you mentioned six to eight weeks. Typically a coaching cycle is that, but it could be longer, could be shorter, depending on the type of support. And why I also think that that's important to say to them as part of your protocol is they know this is a short-term partnership. We're focusing on one element. And just like kids in a classroom, like, dang, I'm in the low group again. You know, that's how sometimes teachers feel. It's like, gosh, this coach is asking me for another cycle. Like, what is wrong with me? Why am I failing? I'm, I just must be horrible at every aspect of teaching. And no, when it's that pinpointed and for that short amount of time, it's actually motivating to them of, okay, cool. There's an end in sight. I know what my focus is. I can't wait to nail it, to get great at it. And yeah, you might do a back-to-back cycle if it's necessary for maybe a follow-up skill. But generally that is really encouraging for folks to know there's a beginning, there's an end. And as you can tell, just that transparency of this is how it's going to work. And this is why we're working really alleviates some of the people that close their doors or are uninterested. And a lot of that comes from just not understanding the process, understanding the purpose. So Kelsey, I'm going to send it back to you. And will you tell me as you were thinking when it gets that personalized, how do you get to everybody? I mean, you just don't have enough time in a day. Yes, uh, that that is a challenge that all instructional coaches face. I think it also comes down to um, what what your building level principal or what your administrator is um, is also seeing. So, for example, um, my administrator lets me know, you know, at the beginning of every month, you know, I'm seeing a, a little bit of low skill or or high will with these five teachers. You know, I would really like you to zone in on at least one of these five. Um, so my current administrator does, you know, provide me with some guidance on a few teachers that I need to focus on. And then the other ones are really all the, some of the teachers that do have that high will who would like to be involved. Um, the teachers that do have that buy-in, the teachers that are interested in improving their practices and really growing in the area of instruction. So I think those are two key factors that really come into play when I'm um, selecting those or looking at, you know, the space on my calendar and who I can really get fit in is um, the teachers that have that buy-in and also feedback from my, from my administrator. You were mentioning will, and I know that was one of the things you wanted to talk about skill versus will. Can you go into that a little deeper? Yes. Um, So will is basically, are the teachers engaged? Do they have buy-in? Do they, do they want to grow and improve in their practice? And the skill would be those teachers who do have that foundational knowledge of content in the area of any subject matter. Um, So there definitely is a difference between skill and will, but you really, in my opinion, you want to focus on those teachers that do have that high will that, that do say, Hey, come into my classroom. Hey, help me, uh, you know, come model this strategy, or can I get some feedback? Would you like to co-teach with me? So um, there, there are some, you know, benefits of having a teacher with high skill and low will and also benefits of teachers having high will and and low skill. But I think it's definitely important as an instructional coach to really analyze and really tear out your teachers. Just as when we were teachers, we tiered out our classroom of students. It's really important to really examine each individual teacher because every teacher is different. Yeah, 100% agree. I wrote something down too about tiering but it's more focused on the highest lever. So when I first started, I would just work on the most obvious, like you walk into a classroom and it's so disorganized, or you walk into a classroom and it's so loud, you're like, oh my gosh, we've got to get some routines and procedures in here. Or um, maybe students are calling out all the time and the, or the teacher's always calling on the same one. And I tended to, to say, hey, we need to work on, and I'd pick the thing that was kind of the most annoying. And that doesn't always translate to any improvement into the classroom instruction or to students achieving. And so that was my biggest aha my first couple of years is, okay, bite your tongue, even though this really drives you crazy, is this the most essential thing? Is this what's actually aligned with what the school's trying to accomplish this year? Maybe there's a curriculum goal, like guided reading or guided math, or is this aligned with what the school's trying to do in terms of 
peer chats and getting more ownership into the classroom. And so you really, as a coach, have to know uh, and partner with the principal first to say, what do you want at the end of this year? You want to look back and say that everyone improved in this one area. What is that? And once I know that, what kind of professional development am I creating that hits that mark? And when I'm working with teachers, what do I need to be looking for or what do I need to be helping them with so we can meet that mark? Like a, a lot of the things can look random, but when you're in this position of leadership, you have to tie the strings together and say, how can I make sure we're moving in the right direction, even though we backslid a little, or even though we've got other areas that we've got to focus on. If we nail this one and get this one working, will I actually see a difference? Will this help the most? And so when you're tiering people, don't just kind of pick the obvious things, or you might say, gosh, everyone is struggling with student engagement right now, especially with virtual instruction. Well, that's great. And that might be something that you hit in a PD session, but maybe in coaching cycles, you're really hitting home on something the principal has asked you to work on individually. Like um, their lesson design process is basically telling you what page they're going to teach from. And it has nothing to do with who who are you grouping together? What materials are you, are you needing? Um, how are students involved in running the and operating the classroom? And um, how are you developing the content besides what's in the textbook in terms of your high learners, your low learners? How are you enriching then what's just and the standard, is there additional information you can gather and those kinds of things. So I'm kind of derailing there a minute, but I would just say all this to say, sometimes when you're deciding who to help and how to help them, it takes more than just the obvious. Sometimes you have to really bite your tongue and think more deeply about what's going to have the greatest impact. Kelsey, do you want to add on to that? Yeah, I definitely agree. That piece of highest impact, it's really important to really, like you said, zone in, not have that big fo focus of everyone needs to improve on guided reading or really even pinpointing what does um, success in this specific area look like so that you're able to really identify, does this person even need to grow in this area? Um, you might feel that a teacher needs to grow on guided reading versus maybe um, their mentor teacher or their, their administrator. So I think it's important to really zone in on what success looks like in a certain area before we go in and want to really improve or um, ass assist that teacher with improving in that area also. Want to take a second to say hey to Candice and Bodie and Becky and Katie. Feel free to ping some more folks into the room. There is the little scissor icon at the bottom. If we say something and you don't want to forget it, clip it. It goes back the last 30 seconds. You can save it to write notes to yourself or you can share it on social. Okay. So let's dive into our next tried and true tip. Kelsey, on to you. Yes. I would say my next tip would be uh, how you communicate with teachers. I think that's an important piece as edu um, educational leaders and instructional coaches. Um, you know, we might not be Oops, sorry. I think one of the old episodes is replaying in my headphones. Hold on one second, please. I apologize. I'll take it while you're doing that, Kelsey. Okay, I'll jump thanks. to my next point. Are you ready? No, you go right ahead. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. So one of the, my strengths, and I hopefully you all in this room can name really quickly, what are you strongest at? Something that I get told and people come to me for is taking ideas to action, meaning people complain, 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 or they're not seeing any improvement. And I'm the one that helps them create the plan. I'm like, sit down. This is what we're doing first, second, third. This is why, this is how it's going to go. This is how we're going to track these in. It just makes sense in my brain. If you guys are like that, you probably feel that that's one of your strengths too, taking ideas to action. And so you are someone that's going to listen to all the blah, blah, blah from the teacher, especially if you have coaching hours and you just allow folks to come in and, and kind of vent. You have to take all, condense it into what's the most essential and what's actually going to improve student learning 
and then create a game plan. Say, great, I hear this is your frustration. What do you think a great first step is? Obviously, as a coach, you've already kind of in your head thought what that might be. And you help them plan out that week. And the reason I don't go further than that at that moment is they can only think like two steps ahead of themselves because right now they're frustrated. Their um, emotions are high and it's hard for them to be clear headed, level headed. And you'll see this a lot in PLCs where tensions get a little rough and you're like, all right, y'all, let's bring this back down. Let's just focus on what we can control. Let's get a game plan together and let's move forward because it could just turn snowball into this complaining session. And so helping them decide what can I do? Hey, Christina. In the next few days or in the next few weeks, what am I in control of? What can I actually change? And then help them think of a system to track it, whether it's in their lesson plan or you develop some sort of quick roster of students and they're tracking it on there. Maybe it's just simple post-its. And then you're checking back in with them and saying, how did this go? Does this make sense? What would be an appropriate next step? You can, of course, share your own. But I think what we underestimate is when someone else hears your problem and you're thinking to yourself, gosh, how do you move to solutions so fast and so easy? Uh, but it's because they're not emotionally involved. And so sometimes it doesn't matter that you have all these years of experience or all these degrees. Sometimes it's just the fact that you have outside perspective. And so encourage your teachers to share what are the struggles that they're facing as small as they are, as big as they are, because a lot of those times, those are obstacles that they aren't even realizing are entering their minds and then they're not performing their best in front of kids. So when we can help them take whatever that is, that turmoil and turn it into action steps, even if it's just one thing you're doing today, you know, versus let's map out this next quarter. Sometimes that's all it takes to help them move through it. And then they're off to the races and they're able to fix their own um, problems. So think about this week, especially how you can help teachers move to action faster by helping them think through first step, next step, and then continuing that collaboration process through the week. Kelsey, back to you. Yes, yes, I definitely agree with that, Gretchen. I think it's um, like you just said, you don't want teachers to take on too big of chunks that are not reachable within that short amount of time. Um, of course, we, we want to think big picture, but it's an important as an instructional coach, we want to make sure that we're assisting them reach those goals that are that are reachable um, within that certain amount of time. We also want to make sure that if we are helping them reach those small, realistic goals, we also want to make sure that we're spelling it out clearly when we are in that first initial consultation or we're having that first coaching conversation. We want to make sure that they have it spelled out so they know that what they're striving to improve or striving to work on over those next few weeks. And also, what is our role in that collaborative piece? So when we have that coaching conversation and we're saying, okay, what can we do this week or what can we do over the next five days? What does that look like in the teacher role? And what does that look like in the coaching role? So does that look like we're coming back in their classroom two days later? Does that look like we're um, you know, providing them an instructional strategy that can mirror that goal that they're working on. So we really want to define what is that goal and then also what are both the teacher role and the coach's role in assisting them improve. So good. I took myself off mute there a second. I was talking. I'm like, it's not working. Um, the room chat, if you guys haven't been, it is fun. And these are folks that have been here for a while. So it's good to see everyone saying hi to each other. Bodhi's saying that this is helpful. So I'm so glad he's taking notes. And Fanny even reminded me of the quote. I just can't remind myself who said it. Fanny or anyone else in the room chat, if you'll write it down. She said, clear is kind. And it's true. If we are just going to be able to be transparent and what we're trying to get at. This is where you need to improve and this is why. And stop dancing around it, then they're going to have a much clearer idea of what they have to do and why rather than us thinking by being nice and not being as direct that we're helpful, it's actually does a hindrance. So 
Oh yeah. Brene Brown, obviously she's great. Um, okay, cool. So I'm going to jump into my next tip and all of y'all in, uh, they call it the listening lounge. Go ahead and, and comment too. You can come on stage and share your tips as we're just kind of bouncing back and forth. The next one I wanted to talk to is about slow to fast. <laughs> I still feel like this. Like I want to improve everything immediately. I want to pick the highest lever and I want it to move mountains like without even any data saying so I want to see it immediately and then I get frustrated when it takes a while to come to fruition and so I would just remind us all that sometimes just like at the beginning of the year with teachers we tell them don't worry about getting to content let's get the routines and procedures in place we got to go slow to go fast same thing with these teachers. If we're not building the greatest relationships or we're throwing too much at them, they're going to start feeling overwhelmed or that relationship is going to make them feel like you're always out to get me. I don't do anything right. Or you're telling me I have to improve, but I really have no idea what it looks like. And so sometimes we just got to slow down the coaching cycle, especially for some of our intensive teachers who really need a lot of guidance and support, whether it's modeling or co-planning or co-teaching, like they just really need your hand for a while until they can find their version of success. And I, sometimes we go in there, we just want to fix. And at the end of the day, that's not really our job. We're really supposed to help empower them. We're supposed to give them the tools so that they can do it in a way that feels good to them, their personality, their teaching style. And so if it means that we slow down our support uh, it's just the way it is until they can truly get a handle on teaching and then on meeting with us and implementing feedback and on repeat. And sometimes just that additional step, especially now everyone's already emotionally overwhelmed and we're asking them to meet with us often. And we're saying, we're not seeing it in lesson plans. And when we go in your classroom, we're not seeing the results. And they start getting stressed out and you might need to pull back. Maybe you don't go in as often. Maybe you don't meet as long or as often. And, and so think to yourself right now, who on your roster of support have you pushed a little too much and you might need to pull back? And it's not for forever. Sometimes there are just seasons in folks' lives or definitely if you're in a testing grade, seasons in the year where uh, you just need to pump the brakes a little bit in order to get somewhere faster. And, and so I'm already thinking of specific people in which I hated to slow down. We had so much momentum and I thought I wasn't going to be impactful and I didn't want my admin down my throat that I wasn't helping as much, but it actually lessened the pressure. They were able to gather their thoughts. They had some silent solo planning time and they came back better than ever. And then we could pick back up in a normal cycle and talk about other things. And that really was an aha, very simple coaching strategy is slow down. Very good point, Gretchen. I think slowing down and realizing that we are not trying to fix everything. Like you said, we are empowering and we are trying to improve teachers' self-efficacy and teachers' confidence. Really, really important. Um, my next tip I want to cover is how to have better conversations. Um, sometimes the role of instructional coach, we, um, we're there to be the, the shoulder that teachers lean on, cry on, complain to, vent to. Um, sometimes we see a lot of negative uh, conversations or even hear a lot of the negative. So I think it's really important as an instructional coach to kind of um, shift some of those toxic conversations and also make sure that we are redirecting those toxic words and toxic uh, conversations or uh, venting sessions that that teachers sometimes like to have. And, and don't get me wrong, I know sometimes we just need to be the, the listening ear that teachers vent to. But keep in mind, um, they're looking to you oftentimes to see, are you going to complain with them? Are you going to vent with them? Or are you going to kind of redirect that conversation and really kind of um, shift that energy? That's so tricky, especially those of you who have been a teacher in the same school in which you're now a coach. And it's that awkward 
oh, I'm not your friend anymore, but I still want to be friends, <laughs> you know, but this is a new way of our relationship. And it could be that way too at a new school where you're wanting to fit in because it is so isolating. And you're thinking, how can we be friendly without being friends? How do I not cross boundaries? And I think it happens more often than not when you're trying to play both sides. You want them to know you're going to bat for them. You understand what they're going through, but you also understand what admin is trying to accomplish. And, and you're the mediator and you're trying to pass the messages between each and you're kind of that bridge and you can easily get tied up in a conversation about other teachers and you know a lot about them because you're in the room and they might look to you to see if you're willing to share dirt or um, if you are willing to say like, yeah, this is a problem. And the best piece of advice I was ever given is shut up. <laughs> and what that means is if you listen to what teachers are saying, rather than always being the one that says something, you actually can have a greater impact. I thought to myself, how? Like, you don't have to control the conversation if they want to be saying something and they want to drag you in or they want to go down another tunnel. You can redirect. You can ask a prompting question. You can say, I'll talk to you later. But you have the power to be quiet. And in doing so, it allows them to continue talking. And it gives you a lot of information about personalities or on people's priorities on their state of minds, um, on their preferences, things that they like. And all that comes in handy as you're building relationships. And so sometimes if you would just be quiet a minute, um, then you can create those boundaries nicely without having to be mean and say no and say, oh, guys, we can't talk like that or I can't talk to that about you. You know, sometimes if you're just quiet and let the conversation go and it goes in a different direction and then you're back at it. And so um, even though as leaders, we think sometimes we need to be the first one to say something or always stand up or always lead the conversation, sometimes the best leaders are, are just quiet. So I will add on to my next point here, which is about choice. And what I mean about choice, as coaches, we are going to have our roadmap of what we think teachers need to be moving towards, especially if you have a performance rubric, you're always focused on how do we get to the next number? And what does that look like in different things behind the scenes to accomplish that and not just do it one time? That was my thing in the classroom. I had to make sure I consistently demonstrated something in order to get that next level. And to me, sometimes the verbiage on that stuff is just not specific. And so I sat with my principal and we talked about, okay, what does this look like? Like, what do I have to do so I can be successful? And some of them, she had to say, I actually don't know. I have to look at my version of this rubric and it gives you ideas. And so she let me see it. I'm like, why don't teachers have access to this? I'm sure I'm not the only one with questions. And so it might be helpful for them as, as you are planning a cycle or you're deciding how to partner together that you say, here are some ways, here are some focus areas. Is there one that you're most interested in trying first? Or if you decide what the focus area is, you say, I would love to hear how you prefer to partner with me. Do you want to use Voxer and chat with me through the audio app? Do you want to meet in office hours once a week after school? Do you want to chat after a PD session and talk about how to implement in your lesson plan? Do you want to meet um, after a PLSC and we could get some coverage for you and we'll talk through the data of your specific class? And by giving them a choice, even though it's a guided choice, you've already decided a few of the steps, it still makes them feel like they're being heard they have a part in the process. And again, you get to learn your people. You get to know what are they most afraid of to try? Why aren't they taking the risks? What are they most scared of? What do they really love to do? And you might have to push them to not always choose a passion project. And in doing so, you um, get a lot more leverage in how you work with them because you're, you're better able to know how they tick. And they're much more likely to work with you because they feel like, oh, they're not doing it to me. They're doing it with me. 
All right, Kelsey, I'll be quiet a minute. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Giving teacher choice, just as when we were teachers, giving student choice is so important. Also in that buy-in, creating more teacher buy-in is giving them choice. Uh, My next tip is how to ask better questions. Sometimes as an instructional coach, my first year or two, when I was helping teachers, um, you know, narrow down their goals of what they wanted to work on, or really just trying to have great conversations and PLCs, my, my questions almost always ended with, you know, the answer would be a yes or no. So I think as an instructional coaches, if we are going to um, help teachers improve or, you know, complete tasks that our uh, administrative team are asking us to deliver, I think it's important that we ask those open opinion questions that are not really those right or wrong or closed question questions, but really having um, some some great starters. Why? What if? How? Um, you know, what if we changed this? What would that look like? Or what if students had more voice? What would that look like? Or why do we think that students are not motivated to learn? So veering away from those yes or no questions that teachers are going to be quick to answer and then we're, you know, just sitting there in silence, really having those open-ended questions that lead to that deeper conversation. Yeah, this has been my focus the last year as reflective questioning. I knew it was an area I needed to work on. I jump into solution mode. I want to help. I know we don't have a lot of time. I can see the solution. I know the teachers and what they're going to prefer. And so I just like go. And it's just not helpful. We're trying to make them fly the plane themselves instead of always taking hold of the reins. And so I like the reflective questioning model because it forces you to say, okay, I know what I want to say. Now, how do I phrase this in a leading question? Or how can I dig deeper into what this person's really trying to say? Because I'm really not sure based on what they just said, what they're trying to convey. And the more you dig and the more you prod and the more you question, the more you get to the truth of what's happening and the more ownership they have, which was one of the ones I wanted to talk about in the process, because you're using their language and their thoughts and you're mirroring it back to them in a way that they say, huh, I guess that is how I feel, or I guess that is the real root of the problem, or I guess that really does annoy me, or I guess that is what I'm really afraid of. And that's where the transformation happens. Because a lot of times when you work with teachers, it's not that they don't know what to do and that they're not capable of doing it. Sometimes there's just some human blocks, like just simple things. They overthink things or they're distracted or they're emotionally responding to situations. Some of that's just about being a human being. And so helping them see what their blind spots are and you're doing that through questioning, they have now more ownership in the process of they're doing the heavy lifting. They're doing the thinking. They're coming up with the solutions and you're guiding them and you're helping them decide, you know, is this the best next step? What are the obstacles from choosing this step? What might this look like? What's the time frame that it needs to be done in? What support do I need? What support do I like? What support do I want? All those kinds of things help you guys together truly partner and solve problems. And I recently, I lead a mastermind with some teacher leaders every semester. And so this group is doing a really fantastic job. And one of the teachers came into the Facebook group with a prompt. She said, I had been really avoiding talking about this, but I just am at my wits end. I don't know what to do. And she told us the problem. And of course, I just wanted to tell her what to do or tell her what I think she should do or what I've seen people do in the past. And I stopped and said, okay, how can I frame this as a question that will get her to to think through the solution? And I basically said, what do you want the outcome to be? And what step could you take to make that a reality? And she's like, I need time to think about this. And I thought that was a perfect answer because that is kind of a a leading question, but it's heavy. And you want to sometimes complain about the surface level things that are happening and not get to, okay, so what is it that I really want? And let me work backwards to make it happen. And what am I actually in control of? And it takes 
time for her to think. So some of these conversations might take place over a few days or a few weeks. And she, after the weekend came back and said, okay, I think I know what I want and I have an idea for how I can get there. Thanks so much. So she didn't need me to tell her what to do, but she needed me to listen to what was going on. And by just asking a simple question, she was able to put the pieces together. And that's where the magic happens. So try and ask more questions this week as you're working with teachers. And they don't always have to be fabulous questions. I put a lot of pressure on myself to like, is that the best question? <laughs> but sometimes it's just be quiet and let, let them add to what they're saying. Um, I know a lot of coaches will read books and there's some famous ones out there, but one of the easiest questions is, and then what, <laughs> you know, it's like, really, that's, that's a full question. But I guess the point is keep talking, tell me some more about that. Um, and through doing so they get to add more details and make themselves feel heard. So that would, I definitely agree with reflective questioning being super powerful. So. Thank you, Kelsey, for sharing that one. Yes, um, definitely. My next tip for instructional coaches is leaning into your master teachers, leaning into your veteran teachers who are doing an all-star job in those classrooms. Oftentimes as coaches, we think, well, we have to go in and model and we have to go co-teach or we have to show them what that looks like. Absolutely not. We, we definitely have to lean into those experts in your building who have been doing guided reading for 10 years or who have been doing uh, gradual release for five years. I really think it's important as an instructional coach. Um, that's one important component that I incorporate with all my, my new teachers, especially, is having them go observe a master teacher in your building. I have a form that they fill out. Um, there's about five different questions or five different sections where they're really observing, they're reflecting, then they discuss with me what they saw, and then we're applying and evaluating, you know, was this beneficial to you? What did you see that we could maybe put into, into practice in your classroom um, with that master teacher that you saw that was really effective? So um, Gretchen, let me know what are your thoughts on having coaches observe other teacher or having teachers observe other teachers a hundred percent and it doesn't get used often enough there are a million reasons why we call them learning walks and there are a lot of boundaries that you need to kind of put in place to make this happen but a learning walk is not sending people into each other's classrooms that is the bare minimum of what it should be. Learning walks are a collaborative process. So before you go in, you're chatting about what is our focus area? What is the one thing we're looking for? What do I want to get better in? What evidence can I look for? Is it student work samples? Is it teacher location in the classroom? Is it what's written on the board? Is it what the assessment data is saying? Like try and think through how will I know that I'm seeing it done well in this classroom? And then once you're in there, it's really helpful to have the coach because they can whisper to you, um, hey, go look at this kid's paper or ask the teacher this question or look over here at this piece of evidence. And so to have some guidance while you're on the learning walk is really helpful. And then once the learning walk is over, which is not just one classroom, by the way, go into multiple classrooms. It could be the same grade level, same subject area. It doesn't matter. The, the point is you want to see whatever the focus is in a variety of settings. So it's good if it's done differently in different rooms. It gives teachers a different idea of how they can make it work in their classroom. But the debrief is almost just as important as watching your peer teach because you're talking about what did we see? How does this apply to our kids in our classroom? And what are we going to do about it? And can we do it now? Can we do it tomorrow? Um, and so I think a lot of us look at this learning walks or whatever you want to call them as a, oh, let's just sign up. We'll create a sign up sheet. You guys go watch each other and miraculously everyone's just going to get better. But there's so much intentionality that's necessary. So if you've done learning walks, think about what worked and then what is still missing from the process, especially the first few, you're going to be heavily involved to make sure that the protocols are there, that everyone feels safe, 
um, that they're productive when they're actually, you know, looking at the right things and jotting down the right evidence and having good collaborative discussions. And then you can kind of back off and let them lead each other. But in the beginning, it's so there's so many touch points that could really make it a powerful experience. So don't underestimate um, the time and intentionality in doing it. So Kelsey, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, yeah, that's definitely a great, great, and one of my favorite uh, favorite aspects of coaching is really getting into those classrooms with other teachers so that they can see see each other and see what's effective and what they can implement in those in their current classrooms. Um, my next tip is feedback, something that um, sometimes can be exciting for coaches or sometimes things, you know, feedback can be, oh my goodness, I have to go let them know what they're doing uh, that could be better or so I think feedback is an important piece of coaching that sometimes can feel a little heavy or sometimes can be exciting but I think it's important to keep it new and exciting each time you're providing feedback so that's something I've tried to really strive to improve this year is making sure that my feedback is is different um not every time I give feedback, but sometimes it might be verbal. Sometimes it might be written. Sometimes it might just be circling back on to that teacher on her plan time, his or her plan time, um, and letting them know my feedback in person or leaving them a, you know, a nice little note with a piece of chocolate. So just trying to make sure that when we're providing feedback, we're really centering it back to, um, you know, keeping it positive, keeping it, um, specific and keeping it um, just zoned in on what that teacher needs needs in that moment, but also just mixing it up every once in a while. Gretchen, what are your um, what are your tips on giving feedback to teachers? I love this and feedback is my jam. I have to tell you, I've come a long way. I used to give, like I would have student teachers and I'd take up a whole piece of paper of <laughs> like with a plus column and a something to work on column minus or whatever. And they loved the fact that I was very specific on the things that they needed to work on. Some of them were very thankful that they knew, okay, this is like the laundry list of things. I, okay, I'm focused. I know what to do. And other people are like, oh my God. And I remember my minister saying, do you do this every time? I'm like, yeah, isn't it so great? It's, it's so helpful. She's like, I don't think so. I think that is extremely overwhelming and really hard for them to sift through. And I thought, huh, well, maybe I would like that kind of feedback, but maybe that's not what everybody does. So it's important to know your, the feedback style of your teachers. Do they want it written? Do they like audio? Which is Voxer's really good for that because teachers are always reading between the lines and emails, you know, and they're like, what was the tone of that? But if they can hear your voice, like in Voxer, it's much easier, but it's helpful to know how do they want to receive the feedback? Do they like the written notes? Um, like a glow and a grow, or do they want the email? Do they want it at the end of the day? They want it immediately, you know, find out what they prefer and, and give it to them and short and sweet is best. Don't do what I do. And, you know, leave a novel for them, <laughs> thinking you're being helpful. And it's like, Oh my God, I'm the wor world's worst teacher. And I would also agree with you that the more pinpointed it is and connected to whatever they've been working on is helpful. So when I would go in and, and look at teachers and give them feedback, they say, good, I, I was working on that. Or that was in the work on column last time. And now it's my strength. And so they feel like it's not just random things you're pointing out that it is connected to what they've been talking about or reading about or working on or something you've been talking to the staff about or the school is aligned on. So really be thoughtful even before you do your rounds of observations of, you know, what are you wanting to see from the school as a whole? What do you want to see individually from teachers or from grade levels? And so that will help you instead of sitting there thinking, oh God, what am I going to say? You know, you've already got some ideas of the category of type of feedback. And at the bottom, I would always say, hey, if you want to hear more, let me know. And then that opens the conversation if 
they do want to know more than just one or two things they can work on. Um, and there are te those above and beyond who are like, yeah, give me everything. I can't wait to get better. Um, and that they like that. And that way you differentiate for them too, that you're not just pulling back when some people want it more. But I think the greatest thing about feedback is that the teacher feels that they've earned it. What I mean by that is you've worked enough with this person that they can't wait to hear what you have to say. If you go into a classroom, you've never met that person, you've never worked with them, and you're leaving them feedback, to them the feedback means nothing. It has no value because there's no relationship value. This is a currency. When you've been working with them through a problem, they now look to you for advice, for guidance, for support, for encouragement, and now your feedback has value. It holds weight. And so when you're leaving feedback, think to yourself, do I, is our relationship in a place where this feedback even makes sense? Maybe I need to just pull back and have more conversations with them, or I need to plan with them some more before I can really leave my two cents and for it to actually have a positive result. And if you leave feedback too early, it could actually negatively impact the relationship. So um, that's something to think about too. I wanted to mention this chat is so great. I'm loving your comments, guys. This is great. I've seen some books here. Let me see. Let me shout them out so that folks who are listening in the replay will be able to see it. Uh, the Coaching Habits by Michael Stanier. I think that's how you say his last name. And Better Conversations. Love that book too. Keep them coming, guys, for, for awesome coaching books that you're interested in or anything that's really resonating with you in this conversation. We're getting close to the close of the hour, so feel free to leave your tips and tricks or come on stage. Alexa says, you've worked enough with this person that they can't wait to hear what you say. Powerful. I'm so glad that that resonated with you. Some of these tried and true tips that we're sharing are not really anything new or anything difficult or hard, but sometimes they're just the most practical, simple things, and we just don't spend enough time doing them. If there is something that you love that you heard, hit the little scissor button. It goes back to last 30 seconds and you can share it out or save it for yourself. All right, Kelsey, back to you. Yes, my next tip is as an instructional coach, having a professional growth plan or having a plan that you are wanting to improve or work on. I know as coaches, sometimes we take the back seat into growing and learning because we're oftentimes helping teachers and you know staff improve and grow in their instruction or their classroom management, but we can't forget about ourselves. That's really important. Um, at the beginning of every year, I set a goal with myself, and of course I include my administrators in that, um, but I really zone in on what I'm wanting to improve on as an instructional coach, and how am I actually going to accomplish that goal? And um, how do I intend to accomplish that goal? So I know sometimes we take a back seat to improving our practices. Like um, Gretchen said a moment ago, if it is that better conversations or if that is, you know, providing feedback, what is something that you as an instructional coach want to improve on this school year or next school year or this semester? Uh, make sure you don't forget about yourself because we're oftentimes really just focus so much on improving teachers, we want to make sure we improve ourselves. Yeah, I think that was the hardest thing for me when I didn't have anyone in my school building. I didn't know how to reach out to people in my district. And now it's becoming more of a norm that you play in with other coaches or you have a, a meetup in your district or now there's conferences, thank goodness, for coaches. In fact, the summit is is coming out now. So if you're an instructional coach and you want to do the virtual summit over the summer, just send me a message and I'll make sure you get the link. But things like that just really didn't exist in the beginning. And I have learned to grow my PLN and this is the perfect place to do it on Clubhouse. So if you are in this room right now, I would look at every person's picture click on it and you can hit the little follow button. That's one more person that you can reach out to, ask a question, share an idea, um, and just problem solve with. And a lot of them at the bottom of their bios have other social media handles like Instagram or Twitter that you can follow them on there as well. 
and you're slowly starting to create your own tribe of people that you can learn from. Professional development doesn't always have to be a book. It doesn't always have to be a podcast or a conference. It could literally just be a conversation with someone else in a similar situation. So take advantage when you're in these conversations. We meet Sundays. Now we're going to meet every other Sunday. Um, feel free to share what you're going through and we can help you think through it or join Facebook groups with instructional coaches and ask questions or, or just look and listen, right? Um, there are lots of ways to just grow. But the biggest piece of advice, and I'm agreeing with Kelsey, is having some sort of plan for yourself, some sort of accountability. My old coach is now a consultant in literacy, and she was asking me for all sorts of help as she was creating her professional development sessions. And this year, I'm going through uh, recertifying for national boards and because who do I go to? My coach. I said, hey, I know you're not technically my coach anymore, but I've got an idea of how I kind of want to do this and what I want to focus on. Can I just run this through and you share your feedback or your thoughts? And she's like, yeah, of course. And so ever since then, it's like we are right back in that same relationship of I would stop by her office. I'd say this is something on my mind or I can't figure out what I need to do. Here's what I'm thinking. And she would listen or she'd ask questions or she'd give some insight and then off to the races I would go. And it was so helpful to have someone hold you accountable for growing and someone that you could go to and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I want to be held accountable to read this book. Can you check in with me? Or I want to be held accountable to getting better in this area. If you hear of a conference or a magazine or a podcast that I could listen to, could you please share it? Or, you know, so find somebody who is going to help you grow, not just someone you can connect with, but someone's going to ensure you get there because you deserve to get better. And when you get better, the teachers you coach get better and the kids that they lead in their classrooms get stronger academically. And it just has this domino effect. So please don't ever feel like you are last on the list when you care for yourself first and you're, and you're growing yourself it impacts so many other people without you even really realizing it. Like if you learned one new thing in this conversation and you change one thing you do this week and how you lead people, think of that impact right there. It doesn't have to be, you know, a gazillion ideas. So uh, keep it simple. And I 100% agree to grow your PLN and hold yourself accountable and don't forget to grow too. All right, Kelsey, before I ask some of these folks to come on stage and share their tips, what more do you have for us? That's that's really it. One last quick tip is self-care. As an instructional coach, that's something that I was terrible at my first two years. My third year, I really feel like I'm getting better. So you want to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. I know it kind of touches on that last portion of, you know, setting goals for yourself, but you can't pour from an empty cup. So make sure that you are intentional of how you take care of yourself. I'm glad you brought that up. I am the worst at self-care. <laughs> I just am like trying to get stuff done and uh, I'm a mom with kids and I'm trying to get their stuff done and I just don't do a good job of resting and relaxing. So, But what I have done is other people have shared with me how they have uh, recouped their energy and reignited their passion. That's one question I always ask when I have guests on my podcast is how do you reignite your passion and potential? Because there are days where you're in a rut and what is your go-to method? And when people share what works for them, you start to get ideas of how it doesn't have to be a three day weekend stay and a really tropical place. And it doesn't have to be an hour of silence. It could be all in five minute nooks and crannies in your day of things you can do. As a teacher, I closed the door. I turned on music when my kids were off at specials and I got in the zone. I was working, but it was a way to kind of escape and anyone can do that. And, and so I would, when we preach and say self-care teachers, take care of yourself, coaches, take care of yourself. It's helpful if we share what that looks like. So if you had a bulletin board, it would be awesome to give teachers in this next month, say, take a picture of yourself doing your version of self-care and make a bulletin board of it all and say, teachers take care of teachers too, or something along the lines of that. 
And then it promotes one that you don't have to be a workhorse, but two, all the different ways that you can unplug for a minute and get re excited about, about your job and helping kids and helping teachers. And sometimes it just helps walking by that board and a teacher say, Oh, I didn't even think about that. That technically counts as like taking a break. Yeah, I can do that. I can weave that in my day. I don't need all this time to do it. It could be just very simple. So that would be one way to do that. All right, Alexis, thanks for coming on stage. I see your little party hat new to Clubhouse. Go ahead and tell us your tip and trick. I would just say creating a consistent schedule has been the most challenging thing um, as a first year instructional coach. Um, I'm currently coaching nine teachers and I'm working as a curriculum facilitator. So I have some other um, different responsibilities along with coaching. And so I think just creating a consistent schedule that you can stick with. I find that one of the challenges I have is just, I, I end up spending a lot of time with certain teachers and then not as much with others, which is why it really stuck out to me when you were talking about that purposeful feedback resonating with teachers that you're working the most closely with. So I think just having that consistent schedule um, is really the best. I 100% agree with you. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that kind of goes back to just what is our protocol that we're going to have? What is it going to look like? Let's be transparent about how it works. And all of that organized uh, strategy is super helpful. Kelsey, what about you? All right, I'll come back. Oh, here you come. Sorry. Sorry. I'm just still trying to figure out. Clubhouse, it's okay. Guys. Thanks, for bear Thanks for bearing with me this evening. Alexis, you are spot on. Google Calendar is my fave. Color coding is my fave on Google Calendar. So yes, making sure that you are creating that schedule. Sometimes that schedule that you create for Monday morning might not even, um, you know, be carried out, but still being intentional is very important. Spot on. Yeah. Love it. All right, Benny, you're a school leader of Guilford Prep Academy. Come on up. What do you have to share? All right. Good evening. Good evening. It is um, great to be back on, Gretchen. Thank you for uh, allowing the space. Uh, of anything, any of the tips that I can offer, um, one thing I would say um, for all the coaches, um, this is one thing that uh, I have two MCOs, multi-classroom leaders, and a uh, MCL slash CF, and I love it when they make time for their growth and they just push in. Hey, you got time for me on your schedule. Nine times out of 10, I don't have time, but I love the fact that they push in and anything that they're thinking about, anything that they need support with, anything that they need me just to walk by the room or put my head in the door, I'm there doing it. So um, definitely, I would say, Definitely, definitely um, get your school leader as an ally. Um, I I love to listen. I love one of the other strategies I was going to say. Just listen, 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 and keep listening um, because so much comes out of hearing your teachers' um, dialogue about their practice and dialogue about their frustrations and dialogue about their misconceptions versus hearing your war stories. Um, I last taught in 2013, so the first thing I tell any teacher, that the, the scholars that you're teaching now, I don't even know what they, I don't know anything about them. The scholars that I taught, they don't even exist anymore. So helping them feel that, that um, you know, they're the captain of the ship and I'm just on board and I want to help support them. I don't mind holding the GPS and, and helping you navigate that way, but just being willing to listen, 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 and listen to more. You are the greatest. I love what you say. It's one, it's a two-way street, right? We need admin to be clued in to what we're going through, what we're working on, what we're thinking about. And they want to be. And sometimes we think, God, they're so busy. They don't care. They don't have time. And like Benny's saying, push in. Just go in there. Say, hey, I just need two minutes of your time. I 
want to run this by you or um, I did this really cool thing today and I just want to talk about it or hey can you pop in tomorrow I've got a really cool experiment I want to show you or you know a coach is like oh man I have a difficult conversation with someone tomorrow do you mind being around in case it goes awry you know anything that will just say hey, I, I want to work with you and I'm assuming that you care <laughs> to want to work with me. And they do, they do. They have a lot going on, uh, but they will make time like Benny says. So good reminders. Thank you so much. All right, David, hit us up really quick. We got about 30 seconds. Tell us what your tip is. Hi, my um, uh, my experience is a little bit different than everybody else. Uh, I work for the Department of Defense and um, I am a master instructor. So the tip that I want to tell everybody about, there is a, a course called uh, Small Group Instructional Technique Course. It is a course that is showing any educators, uh, instructors, or teachers how to maneuver within the classroom to change their teaching style. So look it up. Maybe that's a course that's beneficial. I don't know if the educators have that kind of that type. But for myself, uh, I've taught in that course, which uh, was beneficial. It, trans it, it, it transfers the educator slash instructor or teacher ability to teach like 100%. Like you're talking about like Dan Knight, because uh, that course, what it does, it gives them um, ways and give them the maneuverability to be like just just to be able to change their teaching style and that for a coach for a committee coach for a person who's um have about maybe 250 instructors uh that was one of the most beneficial courses that uh, i provided for my guests thank you thank you that's awesome i hadn't heard of that so see we're all learning something um, tonight, which is great. So I also want to share something that's happening in the chat. Christina said, a strategy I've implemented is sharing the walkthrough data that I collected during the observation and giving teachers time to look through their data and highlighting those things they are pleased with and then highlighting one or two things they would like to discuss. So that goes back to that ownership piece. One, they're doing the thinking. Two, they're leading the discussion. Three, they have a say in what's happening. So I'm so glad you shared that. It's seems to be a really helpful tip. Well, y'all, I just want to give a round of applause to Kelsey. If y'all agree with me, say something in the chat. This is her first chat. She did so great co-modding. It has been really helpful. Thank you so much. Where can we connect with you and learn more? Yes. Well, thank you so much, Gretchen, just for having me. I loved my first experience on Clubhouse. Everyone was so welcoming. Um, we had some great conversation that I hope helped everyone. Um, please, if you would like to connect with me more, you can reach out to me on Instagram um, at Kelsey.Bodie or even on Twitter at under, uh, Kelsey underscore Bodie. Both you can connect with me that way or even on my website, KelseyBodie.com. So I appreciate all the great insight this evening from Gretchen. And again, thanks for having me. You are wonderful, amazing coach. We're thankful for all your tips. Appreciate your time tonight. I love seeing all the familiar faces. Thanks for chatting it up in the um, little chat room there, room chat. And we will meet back, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after at 8 Eastern. Appreciate you all. Please try and implement at least one new thing that you've learned during our chat. All right. Gonna be great. All right, Elite Educators, I hope you found value in that Clubhouse chat. All resources mentioned will be in the show notes. Just visit www.alwaysalesson.com, click on podcast, and find this bonus episode. Wishing you an empowered school year. Go be great.